Thanks, Sean. I've had the privilege, thanks, Pastor Matt, of getting to know Sean a little bit um, this last year, and I may talk a little bit about that more later in the message. Hey, um, as we continue our worship this morning, I'm going to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning offering as they distribute or as they pass the baskets for our offering. I want to talk a little bit about our series. We're in the last week today. Um, doing something a little different here today with the stool thing, trying to be more like Pastor Matt. Um, uh, we're in the last week of this series that we've been in for eight weeks. This is, I think, the eighth week or seventh week of our spiritual EQ series. This has been a series, I'll be honest, for me, this has been a very challenging series. Uh, it's been a hard series to preach. It's been a hard series to to sort of intake and like watch God do stuff in me that I, I guess I didn't know he needed to do before the series started, which in some ways is great, but in some ways is, is, is a, little pain, a little painful when God gets in there. Um, and if, if you're new around here or if you haven't been with us all that much lately, we're in a series called Spiritual EQ. And the idea behind this series is that we want to let God into the deepest parts of our soul, down into our emotions, um, that to spiritually mature and become the people God longs for us to be. That doesn't mean that we, that we embrace our emotions and just let them drive our lives. It also means that we don't like repress our emotions and just pretend they're not there, but we invite God into this emotional part of our life that he would change us from the inside out and so that then we can live authentically um, from like who we are deep down, changed by God, and then really have the life that he wants us to have. That's, that's the series, Spiritual EQ. And today we're kind of capping off the series with maybe the most important message of the entire thing. It, it's a series where we're going to talk about where do we get the fuel to live this. We're going to talk about tapping into time and space with Jesus, tapping into the rest, the Sabbath rest of God that we have now in Christ. And so, um, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2. If you didn't bring one with you today, grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. Very first book of the Bible, right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. As you turn, let me catch you up a little bit here. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the entire universe, all the cosmos. The, the Bible starts with these words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then for the entire first chapter, we get the first six days of creation where God creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky and he creates the water and the land and the animals in the ocean and then he creates animals on land and vegetation and then finally on the sixth day, so there's all this creation happening and then on the sixth day he creates us. Human beings, humanity. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a big week for God. And so... At the beginning of chapter 2, uh, after six, 6, yeah, you think your week was productive, Judy. Not so much compared to God. Um, this is what it says. After all that, six days of creation, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he 
had done. And, and this word rested, it's the word in Hebrew, sabbat, sabbat. And it means to stop or to cease or to be done. And we're talking today about how on the seventh day, God is done. He's done with the work of creation. He ceases, he stops. But not only that, God also celebrates. The word sabbat can also mean celebrate. This is, this is kind of a confusing passage. I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about uh, the way the Bible begins and the way chapter 2 begins here especially, but it's always seemed a little strange to me that God, even though he creates you know, all of creation, which is a pretty big moment, a lot of work involved, he's still God. Like, infinitely powerful, infinitely smart, infinitely present. Why does he need a break? Why does he need a rest? Why... Why the pause on day seven? Why does he kind of back into this place where he needs to take a rest? And I, and I, I want to suggest to you this morning that, that God doesn't need a rest. <laughs> that he doesn't decide here to just to take a nap or to kind of phone in to Southwest Airlines and get a want-to-get-away ticket to the nearest Caribbean island and say, hey, it's been a long week. I'm going to put my feet up and, and hang out on the beach. That's not what's happening here at all. God is not just tired. Um, he's also not just modeling for us. Sometimes it's suggested, hey, God is sort of setting an example for us to work and then to rest. And certainly there is a rhythm of of work and rest built into the very fabric of creation. But I think God is doing something more here. The the idea of rest in the Hebrew culture had, had much to do with the temple. And what's being communicated here is not that just that God needs a break, but that God has taken up residence, that he's now residing, that he is now resting on his throne. Um, maybe a kind of a modern parallel example to help you understand would be to think about uh, the presidency. Right? In an election year, and so you can relate with this, candidates, people running for the presidency, they will do a lot of work on the front end, right? They will campaign, they will travel, they will give speeches, they will enter into debates, they will jump on buses and planes. I mean, there's a whole lot of work for a whole long time, a whole lot of buildup before finally at the very end, someone is elected president. And then what happens? Then they get to rest in this place we call the the White House. They get to sort of camp out and and specifically in this office that we have a name for called the Oval Office. So they've done all this work. They've put all this time and energy into getting elected. Now they are the candidate of choice. They get elected. They are now president. And now they're just resting in the Oval Office. Is that true? Are they just in there napping? It does seem like it sometimes, doesn't it? But I don't think they are. Um, No, they have now sort of settled in to the role that they were intended to have. Now the real work can begin. You see, all the prep work has been done, and now the intended work can begin. The same is true with God. Now all the work of creation is behind him. And now the real work can begin. One author that I read this week um, put it this way, and I love this. He writes, Genesis is the beginning of, in Genesis, in the beginning, is the story of how the one true God effortlessly triumphs over the forces of chaos. He brings order and beauty to the world so that the earth itself will be a temple, so that the earth will be sacred space, so that it is God with us. 
The seventh day is not a vacation day. God is not taking a nap. The seventh day is the whole reason for the first six days. It's what they were all leading up to. It's the purpose of the whole deal. You see, creation leads up to this moment where now God can rest. He can reside on his throne and he can actively rule and reign over his creation. That's the point of day seven. You'll notice that in in chapter one, all throughout the creation narrative, for the first six days, every single day ends with a little phrase. There's a little sort of repeated uh, mantra that happens. And and, and you've heard it before. It says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And it's like there's a beginning and there's an end. There's a beginning to this day and there's an end to this day. It's a, it's a finite period. And that happens for all six days of creation. And then we get to day seven and we never hear that language. Why? Because day seven is never intended to end. Day seven is supposed to go on for all of time. God is supposed to rest. He is supposed to reside. He is supposed to sit on his ruling throne over his creation from that point forward into all eternity. He's supposed to sit there and celebrate the work that he's done. Not in a passive way. Not in a way that says, now I'll disengage. Now the work is over. No, in a way that says, now all the work has been done so that I can engage and we can get on with the business of doing what this whole thing was intended to do. Uh, Maybe another kind of silly example um, to illustrate this is this past week on Monday... I have the day off on Monday, and so it's sometimes a day where I do some, some things around the house. I, I emphasize sometimes, because my wife's here, and she'll correct me later. Uh, but this particular week, I tackled our master bedroom toilet, or as the, they like to say it on Love It or List It, the ensuite toilet. Um, our ensuite toilet was running. It just would continue to run and run and run, which was not a good thing, especially for my water bill. And so I, I dove in to fix the problem this past Monday. And we have in that, in that room a weird toilet. I've never heard of these before, but the, the brand of toilet in our bathroom in there is a Toto toilet. Have you heard of a Toto toilet before? I had not heard of a Toto toilet, but what this meant for me was that when I lifted the lid to the tank, all the apparatus looked foreign and complicated, and I did not know what I was doing. So, of course, I grab my computer, and I dial up YouTube, and I get a guy uh, on there who is kind of giving me instruction, and there's a video called How to Replace a Toto Toilet Fill Flush Valve, and it basically involves deconstructing the entire pump. It's a very complicated process, but I follow him step by step by step for quite a long period until I finally get to the fill gasket head. And I remove the fill gasket head. And I clean the fill gasket head thoroughly, hoping that it is not too damaged. And then I put it back and I reassemble the entire pump. This whole process, by the way, takes me about an hour and a half. And so it's now all back assembled and the lid is back on. And here comes the moment of truth. I flush the toilet and it fills the tank. And then what do you think happens? Really? That's the kind of faith you have in me? Like, that's it? Like, come on. You're my church, not my wife. She, by the way, is heckling me the whole time. This will never work. This is a waste of time. No, it actually worked. 
Yes, it's worth an applause. Miracles do happen because I am like the least handy person ever. And so now the toilet is fixed. My work is done. And so what do I do? Do I step back? Do I disengage from the toilet? Do we say, this toilet's fixed. No one use the toilet now. No. I'll tell you exactly how that afternoon went. It went like this. Honey, come here. What? Just come in here. Okay, watch this. Flush. You've flushed the toilet for me like seven times now. I know, but watch again. It stops. I did it. What do you think? Are you proud of me? Right? It's like, no. So it, it, I'm celebrating this, this, this project that I, that I was able to complete. It's like the first one in several years. And so in the same way, God kind of creates all of creation it goes way above and beyond fixing a toilet and he doesn't even need a YouTube video and now he celebrates he actively engages with his creation and everything is going great the seventh day will go on forever with God resting and residing on his throne except for what? what is it that ends the perfect paradise of the seventh day? sin Sin is, is what ends it. Just one chapter later, in chapter 3, sin enters the world and destroys the perfect creation that God has made. What was once smooth and easy and just the way God wanted it, free of burden, is now, because of chapter 3, because of the sin of humanity, hard and difficult and burdensome. And so now Sabbath... The seventh day is this lost thing. It's this thing that now God says we look back to to remember that God rules and reigns and rests on his throne and that someday he will again in the way he originally intended to. Um, a couple things uh, about the Sabbath I want you to notice um, before we move on. First of all, there in chapter 2, verse Two, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day. Now, this is interesting to point out um, because in the creation story, God blesses three things. He blesses the animals, he blesses humanity, and then he blesses the Sabbath. He blesses the animals. If you flip back to chapter 1, it says he, he makes all the, the animals of the water and the waters teeming with living creatures. And then down in verse 22, it says God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. And then God blesses humanity. God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So God's blessing comes with this ability to what? To procreate, to give life, to bring life to the creation that God has created. And that makes sense for the animals and the animal kingdom and for humanity. But then God blesses what? The Sabbath, the seventh day. Well, what's the message there? The message there is that the Sabbath day as well, this day where we remember and see that God is resting and residing on his throne, that he is king and Lord, and that the creation is just the way it's supposed to be, that is a life-giving moment. To have God rest on his throne, to remember that he is God and king and ruling his perfect creation, that is a life-giving thing. And that's what we're going to find um, throughout the rest of the Bible. The second thing I want you to notice uh, is, that, is that God says, he, it says that God blessed the seventh day, and then it says he made it what? He made it holy. 
this is this is actually quite a shocking thing. Um, in, a, in a little book that Pastor Matt gave me this week called The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel, he talks about this thing we refer to as the principle of first mention. And, and the principle of first mention is just this way of reading the Bible, and it's how the rabbis would read the Bible. And the principle of first mention said, when you read a word in the Bible, the very first time that word shows up, it sort of sets the tone for how that word will be interpreted. It sort of defines that word. It sort of helps us understand what that word is all about. And the very first time we read the word holy is right here. And it's actually quite a shocking um, moment. Because in the ancient world, much like in our world today, holy things were places or objects. Um, you would have a holy temple or a holy mountain or a holy river or a holy shrine or a holy altar. But in Genesis chapter 2, the very first time we hear the word holy, what does God make holy? Not a place, not a thing, time. Time is what God says is holy. Time is what is supposed to be set apart for him and the worship of him and the remembrance of him. It's time that is holy in the worship of God. Not a certain place, not a certain thing. There's no altar, there's no relic, there's no building. It's just a time. And the idea here is that as people who follow Yahweh, it's so important that we set apart holy time. Time, remembering who God is, Remembering that he rests and resides on his throne. This is kingdom language, friends. The kingdom that was created originally, destroyed by sin, will come again. You want to know why God, throughout the Old Testament, is constantly asking his people, commanding his people, offering his people the gift of Sabbath? It's because he wants them to remember the kingdom that was created and the kingdom that's coming Again, you know that the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments? It's like the most forgotten uh, one of the ten, and yet it is the longest commandment of the ten. The commandment about the Sabbath holds more real estate than any of the other nine. And the reason God is so emphatic about commanding his people throughout the Old Testament, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember this day. Set a day apart to remember that God rested, that he sits on his throne, that, that he is king and he is God and you are not. The reason he's so emphatic about asking them to remember that is because they've lost it. They've lost it. They've, they've lost this reality. It's, it's gone away. And so with that, we've lost our relationship to work. You see, in the original plan, when things were just the way they were supposed to be, um, when God was resting on his throne, all was well in the garden, right? And then sin, and then the fall, and then what happens? Now, all of a sudden, our relationship to this world, our relationship to each other, and our relationship to work changes forever. It, it just, it, it goes in a different direction. And now all of a sudden work gets hard, work gets difficult, work becomes a burden. But not only that, work begins to define us. It starts to consume us. You see, 
we start to become our own gods. We start to handle our own problems and provide for ourselves in the wake of this fallen, broken world. You ever notice that this happens? You ever notice that this happens in our world? Do you ever see work, tasks, not just, not just your job, now certainly this, your job is a part of it, but just work in general, tasks, providing for yourself, accomplishing things. Do you see people becoming accomplishment-driven? One of the reasons God says, stop, hold up, observe the Sabbath, is because he so longs for us not to become human doings. People who are just defined by what we do, he longs for us to become human beings. People defined by whose we are. And, and, and maybe we're most guilty of this in the modern world, right? Because, you know, 50 years ago, all the social scientists of, of, of the world said things like, in the future, when technology really starts to take off, we will have labor-saving devices. And the big prediction was, when the labor-saving devices came onto the scene, we would all be working like half-time. Because we wouldn't have to work so hard, because we'd have computers um, and typewriters and, and smartphones to do our work. Is that how it's played out? Have, have, we, have we, with the development of smartphones, because we're so much more efficient now with these things, have we decreased our workload, or have we increased our workload? Has our dependence on work gone up or down? I'll tell you, it's gone up. We're working 37% more now than we were 50 years ago. And Americans are the worst. Uh, I read some recent stats lately, uh, uh, some stats recently that said we work 137 more hours a year than the Japanese. We work 250 more hours a year than the Brits. And 500 more hours a year than the French. Um, and the worst part about it, here's the worst part about it, we're proud of it. It's, yeah, that's what defines us. We're Americans, we work hard. Yes, we do, right? If you talk to anyone, this, have this conversation, especially during the holidays, this next month, just pay attention to how often this is said. How's it going? How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. We're doing all right. But we're really busy. We're really busy. Everyone you meet is busy. Life is busy. And, and there's this sense when we say that we're busy, it's like, hey, I'm busy, I'm really busy. Oh, it's a, and we kind of say it like it's a negative thing. But underneath those comments, I believe, uh, is this kind of desired reality. I'm really busy, i.e., I'm really important. I'm really busy, i.e., I'm really special. I'm really significant. I'm really smart. I'm really needed. I'm a VIP, right? You see, busy equals important. And yet, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Which is why all throughout the Old Testament, God says to his people, it's going to be so easy for you in this fallen, broken world to start to depend on and rely on your work and your accomplishments. And that's going to start to become your identity. And so to fight that, take one day a week. And lay down your work. And lay down your achievements. And lay, and lay down your accomplishment-driven life. And just remember that I'm God. That I provide for you. And that I'm the one who carries your burdens. You see, 
work comes with burden, right? I mean, even if you have the best job in the world, some of you have jobs that you don't like at all, that you hate maybe. Some of you have jobs that you love. Some of you have your dream job. I happen to be one of those people. I love what I do. I consider it an amazing blessing to be a pastor. It's, it's, it's what I've wanted to do since I was a very young person in some ways. When I was a first grader, I was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my answer was, I either want to be A, a professional wrestler like Randy the Macho Man Savage or Hulk Hogan, or be a pastor. There were two very different paths that I could have gone down. And I didn't quite have the hair for Hulk Hogan, so I settled for the pastorate. But, I mean, in all seriousness, there's moments just like you where I think, oh man, this is, this is hard, or what am I doing here? But for the most part, I love being a pastor. And yet still, friends, even though I love it, it drains me. Work tires us out. Even when we love our work, it, it takes energy from us. Sunday afternoons, ask my wife, every week, two-hour nap. Preaching is a lot of fun, and yet it wipes me out. So we have this relationship with work. It drains us. It's a burden on us. And, and not just our work, right? It's not just the work in our vocation. It's the work of our life. There's a lot of burdens that we carry. We carry burdens around our health. We carry burdens around our, our finances. We'll have enough money. Am I saving enough money? What if I get sick when I'm older? Will I be able to pay for that? We carry burdens around, I, have, I carry burdens around my children. I have four kids now. What if they don't make good decisions? What if they go the wrong, down the wrong path? What if they do something crazy and it ends up destroying my life too? See, I want to control my children, but it's beginning harder and harder the older they get. And then I, I carry a burden for my wife, for my spouse, right? Um, because I care for her, and I, and I want to control her, and it's getting harder and harder to control her the older that she gets. Um, not at all, not even close. Uh, but we carry all these burdens, right? And the Sabbath is a day where we get to say, God, you're God. I don't have to carry the burdens that this fallen world offers me. I don't have to carry the burdens of my work in this world, my vocational work and just my life work. I get to take a break from that and remember that you're on the throne. I get to lay those things down. Now, one of the questions for New Testament Christians is is this. Uh, Do we follow the Sabbath as New Testament believers? Are we supposed to observe like a Sabbath period of rest as Christ followers on this side of death and resurrection. And uh, I would say there's a lot of debate about this, but I don't think we have to in a legalistic way. In fact, the, the New Testament in Hebrews were told that Christ kind of fulfills the, that he's our rest. We don't need a, a day of rest, but he's our rest. At the same time, though, friends, there's still this rhythm of life There's this wisdom from God that says, if you will take time out of your life and pause and offer up your burdens and lay down your work and remember that your identity is not in your accomplishment or achievement, but in God, if you will do that, then something great can happen in your soul. You can find what we're calling in this series emotional health. That if you stop and give God the time to be God, 
then, then good stuff will happen deep inside of you. Pastor Matt said, like in between services, this is like a power tool. We're offering you, God is offering you like a power tool for your spiritual development and emotional life. That's what's being offered here. And this makes sense because this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Uh, Jesus is talking uh, to Christians, Christ followers who are, are trying really hard to be people who follow God, uh, to be people who find that deep internal sense of joy and peace and hope. And this is what he says. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus says, you know, it's no longer just a holy day. But, but take a holy day or take some holy moments. Take some holy time. Set apart some time to come to the Holy One that you might experience holiness. That's the offer that Jesus makes. You see, the Sabbath is no longer, if you're a Christ follower, limited to just certain moments, certain pieces of time. It's available to you all the time through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, and yet, all of us need intentional moments where we carve out time daily and weekly. Daily rhythms in our life where we say, God, I'm going to stop and I'm going to intentionally hand you my burdens. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I just still carry a lot of burdens. Even though I know the kingdom has come and God is on the throne and Jesus has risen from the grave. I still want to grab that stuff back. And what it takes for me sometimes is an intentional moment every day to say, God, I'm laying it down again today. An intentional moment, maybe an expanded moment every week where I say, Lord, for just a few hours, I'm going to separate myself from the stuff I'm carrying, from the accomplishments and tasks and work that I need to do. And I'm going to remember that it's not on my shoulders, but it's on yours. You see, sometimes I think we think about time with God and it's our burdens that get in the way, right? Some of you have experienced this. You want to have that time with God where you come before him and you're refreshed and renewed. But what gets in the way? Life gets in the way. Stuff gets in the way. Struggle gets in the way. Difficulty gets in the way. Unexpected things in your schedule get in the way. In fact, this I can relate to that. This week I had just a, a terrible week, to be honest. I was all prepared to preach this sermon on rest. And my plan was, I was going to come into this sermon really rested so I could tell you all how good I was doing at resting with God. And then Monday night, I played basketball with some guys much younger than me, which is never smart, and I ruptured a disc in my lower back. And so... It's not been a real fun week, and I haven't had much sleep, probably 15 hours total all week, and I've been stressed and anxious and worried and carrying a lot of burden, burden about my health and burden about medical treatment and burden about finances and burden about holiday plans and just carrying all this stuff. And I thought, and I even said to Pastor Jerry this week, um, later in the week, I said, I can't preach on rest this week. Rest is the farthest thing from what I have right now. And then he said to me, in just a great moment of sort of pastoring the pastor, maybe that's exactly where God wants you to preach this sermon. And then I read these words. Come to me... 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus doesn't offer rest to the rested. He offers rest to those who carry burden. And so I have a question for you today. Got any burdens? Carrying around any burdens these days? Burdens for your life? Burdens around your health, burdens around your kids, burdens around your parents, burdens around the holidays, which tend to be kind of a time when our burdens don't go down but go up. Christ is coming! Emmanuel! I'm more stressed. Right? How does that work? Right? Got any burdens in your life right now? Anything that you're carrying? And God is just saying, remember. Remember the seventh day. Remember when I was resting on my throne and know that now in Christ the kingdom has come again and you do not have to carry your burdens any longer. Carrying any burdens these days? Second question. Have you carved out holy time? Have you carved out holy time in your life? Daily time. Daily rhythms of time where... Every day you can sit before Jesus and say, I'm carrying that stuff again. I'm going to give it back to you. Do you have that as a part of the rhythm of your life? If you're missing that, everything else we've taught in this series has been a waste of breath. Because if God does not have time to do the stuff in your soul that he needs to do, it won't get done. Do you have daily times of Sabbath, holy time set apart for God? Do you have a weekly rhythm of a time with God? I don't have to get all legalistic about it, right? Do you do 24 hours? Was it on Saturday? Like, no, no. But maybe it's just a three-hour gap on a Thursday. Maybe that's what works for you. Maybe there's an extended moment on Sunday afternoon when you get home from church where you just say... I'm just going to put all achievement and accomplishment aside. All have-tos and should-dos are going to go out the window. To-do lists, nah, uh They can wait for tomorrow. There's six other days of the week for that stuff. Do you have time in your schedule that's set apart, that's holy, so that God can take your burdens and begin to do the deep internal work that he needs to do? The last thing that this morning for us is the message. Jerry's not coming back up. Um, we're not going to do a closing worship. We've already shared communion together. So I'm going to send you with this opportunity. Think about that today. If you're someone who has established some wonderful rhythms with God in your life, recommit to those. Share those. Reaffirm those. If you're someone that doesn't have that, think about what that could look like for you. How could I? When could I? What would it look like for me to carve out some time every single day to be with Jesus? You know what I do? It's real simple. I read one chapter in the Bible and I write a page in my prayer journal. Sometimes more. But, and I don't even actually do it every day. Sometimes I miss and I don't feel guilty. I just move on to the next day, right? But the idea is every day just to have some holy time with God. And my wife and I have been talking about what would it look like for us to have some extended time as a family. Have those conversations this afternoon. 
Don't miss out on the power of Sabbath rest rhythm with Jesus in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not just setting up a temple somewhere, but for being available everywhere in your entire creation whenever we want to set aside time to be with you. Thank you for coming and taking our burdens. Thank you for relieving us of the pressure of being our own God. Help us all, Lord, to find that time so that we can let you do the work in our souls that we need you to do. That's our prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. We'll see you soon.